This is the Beat Generation, a look at music throughout the years that changed our world, from the original beat poets of the 50s through to the musicians of the 60s until today. They've become known for their influence on music that has shaped the soundtrack of our lives, simply known as the Beat Generation. Welcome to Season 2 of The Beat Generation, produced in association with Bad Boys Productions, Townsville's Triple TFM and the Community Broadcast Association of Australia. The show got its name from the 50s and 60s writers that inspired so many musicians. Now each week we'll take a look into music and artists throughout the years that have changed the face of the musical landscape. A full song listing can be found at our Facebook page, forward slash music that changed the world. And make sure you check out our Instagram page, The Beat Generation Podcast. And a podcast of this show and past episodes can be found on Apple and Spotify, along with some of our other shows, including The Bad Boys and Secret Men's Business. Check out our shows, and if you like what you hear, then make sure you leave a review. So sit back, put your headphones on, crank up the dial, and journey with us this week with part two of a special interview with Oz Rock legend, member of the Angels, Ganga Jang, and the Party Boys, Graham Buzz Bidstrup. I'm Shane Bryan, and this is The Beat Generation. Well, in last week's episode, we took a look at Buzz Bidstrup's career, spanning his time in The Angels, The Stetsons and Mondo Rock, plus his work with Australian Crawl. Now, this week, we'll dive into the early days of Ganga Jang, his time in TV and movies, and his work with Uncle Jimmy's Thumbs Up. Buzz Bidstrup has been a driving force in Oz Rock, including being part of TV history with the iconic music TV show, Sweet and Sour, which pretty much starred everyone who was anyone in the Australian music scene at the time. Now, the show followed a band called The Takeaways, and many of the songs were written by Buzz himself. That's where we start today's Beat Generation with the 1984 song Party on Wheels from Sweet and Sour. Let's take a listen, and when we return, the man himself, Buzz Bidstra. 1984.
Buzz, welcome to the Beat Generation for a bit more of a look at your time in the Australian music industry. Thanks, Shane. It's uh, it's really nice to be here, man. We just heard Party on Wheels from the TV show Sweet and Sour. Yeah. When you sent through the notes Mm -hmm. for the interview, you highlighted Sweet and Sour and the Party Boys and you subtitled this time period as Drugs and Bad Decisions. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, at the time, at the time, I got uh, I got introduced to the the dreaded marching powder when I was in America. Yeah, um, and it was probably the thing that destroyed any opportunity for the Angels. I can tell you, because we just turned out to be this bunch of paranoid people sitting on a bus. You know, you sort of get up and you go, "Hey, how? Good morning. How you doing? Go, what do you mean, good morning? What do you mean, how you doing? You know, <laughs> and everyone's like, ah, like this." Um, so that it was around that time that that I managed to kick that. Yeah, I managed to kick that horrible bloody drug, mm. um, and I made a couple of decisions around that time. One of them, sweet and sour. I was I was the music director for that. Mm. I was hired as the music director, and after about a year, it was it took us about a year to sort of set it up, and then we started recording the thing. And around that time, Paul asked me if I wanted to play in the Party Boys. Yes. Which, which was with James Rain, right? So there was this connection to James Rain. This is yeah. before Australian Crawl. So I did, th- I did that, you know, just kind of fun thing with the Party Boys. And at the very moment when, at the very moment when uh, Sweet and Sour was about to be finished, and then Jan Chapman, who was the producer of that, was about to go on and produce the the piano and other mm. films. I made the decision to go out and play, keep playing with the Party Boys, mm. which was a bad decision, <laughs> a very bad decision. Because had I stayed, you know, on Sweet and Sour, I think Jan would have had me doing her films. You know, yeah. would I would have had a totally different life. Funny, I personally loved Sweet and Sour. Mm. I would come home from school, switch it on, loved it. I thought I'd take a little bit of a look at it now, and it had some really good moments. But I think one of the things that made made me make the decision I made was that I didn't really think it was going to do that well. Yeah. I actually didn't think it was that good. Yeah. Like I liked some of the music and I liked the act, you know, the people were great, but I, I, I made the decision to stay with the party boys and basically also to start Ganga Jane. That was exactly the yeah. same time that, you know, I started writing songs with Mark Callahan, who I'd produced in the Riptides. So there's yeah. another whole, lot of production stuff I'd done in 1981 as soon as I left the Angels and I started producing the Riptides. Yeah. So, you know, Ganga Jang started in 1984 um, and that was exactly the same time. So in 1984, I think I did No Second Prize with Barnsey and I did uh, Solidarity album with with uh, Richard Clapton and we did the first Ganga Jang song, Give Me Some Lovin', all in 1984. Um, wow. So, yeah, and I just made the decision to uh, stop doing the film music and start a band. Yeah, and, and that's where Ganga Jang came from. Yeah. Now, before we go into Ganga Jang, <laughs> I want to also talk about Jimmy Barnes, No Second Prize, one of my favourite songs of all time. It really showcased his voice. Oh, so it, it was a great track and, and, you know, we were good friends. Um, yeah. Uh, Jimmy's wife Jane was a really good friend of my wife Kay, yeah. um, and um, you know we used to go down to his place in the eighties, early eighties. We had this little house, a little um, 
a little weatherboard house on the top of Mount Gibraltar, um, which turned out, which by the time he'd added more bits to Barnesville, as we used to call it, <laughs> um, the, the little house was the kitchen. Right. Like the actual entire floor of the house became the kitchen. Um, but, yeah, we used to go down there and hang out and, and, um, and have a lot of fun. So when he said, uh, you know, could you play on this track, which was his first single, this is after yeah. he left Chisel, yeah. Um, I also got asked to join Chisel um, in 83, 83, 82, 82 maybe, when they were in Germany right. and, and Steve walked out and I got this phone call from Don and Jimmy when I was actually in triple the Double J Studios mixing the first mixing the first uh, Party Boys. It must have been at 82 or something. Yeah. And they said, oh, do you want, you know, can you come over to Germany and, and you know, Steve's walked out and I went, I thought to myself, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't think going over to Germany and get, walking into cultures who, who were virtually breaking up at the time, yeah. I didn't think that was a particularly good idea. Yeah. Um, so I said no to that because uh, I, I think figured. it was a wise move. I think it was a wise move. Yeah, it was a wise move. But I ended up playing on 20th Century. I played percussion on quite a few tracks on 20th Century yeah. um, because they did it at at rhinoceros and all i was working at rhinoceros as well so right. you know all my stuff was there so you know barnes he said oh you know i'm going to do this single you know can you play drums on it um which i did and i played piano as well and in the choruses uh, the, the 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 pre-chorus up against the wall there's little these big pianos there's like yeah. this 10 fingers bong, bong, doing those um yeah, so you know, it was um, it's a great track. I, I really like No Second Prize, and and again, it's got AMS reverb to the max on the snare drum. You love your reverb. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is Jimmy Barnes, No Second Prize from '84. You're listening to the Beat Generation with our special guest, Graham Buzz Bidstrup. 1984. Nothing to drive him on, no hope. 
Barnsey, no second prize. I'm Shane Bryan. You're listening to The Beat Generation with our special guest, Graham Buzz Bidstrup. Now, in last week's part one, we took a listen to Sounds of Then by Ganga Jang. Now, if ever there was a song that represented Australia, <laughs> Sounds of Then would have to be it. Uh, yeah, well, well it, it, as far as Ganga Jang goes, it's our, it's our most you know, well-known song, that, that one you can love it, yeah. And Buzz, you were one of Ganga Jang's founding members, right? Yes, indeed. Um, and that song, that song had an interesting, um, an interesting gestation. Mark actually wrote that as a poem um, when he when he turned up in Bundaberg, Queensland, as a teenager uh, after living in England. His parents uh, arrived in Brisbane, jumped in a car, and started driving north. And they said to the kids, "When you find somewhere you like, that's where we'll live." And they got they drove into Bundaberg, and there was all these kids playing soccer on these you know, big soccer fields as you drive into Bundaberg. And um, Mark and his brother just went, we want to live here, thanks. There's all these kids playing soccer and they were English kids, you know. Yeah. So uh, he wrote this as a poem uh, about the little house that he lived in. The so, block is awkward, it faces west, long diagonals and sloping too. So he's talking about the block, the, la- the block of land and, and how as English migrants they would sit on the patio and watch the lightning crack over the cane fields because the cane fields were just over in the distance and the cattle and all this sort of stuff. So if you listen to the lyrics of that, the walls of silent hardy flecks and familiar smells of the sheets that they had, they bought with them, so they got familiar smells, but the rest of it isn't familiar. Um, and and um, they'd sit on the patio and laugh and think they were in Australia. And that's kind of what the poem was about. And when Ganga Jang started, uh, Mark played me this little song and i just went that is so cool i I love that you know let's learn it oh no 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 he said no i don't want to do that i want want to put that on my solo record i said what solo record (laughs) you know because we were starting a band you know like what do you mean what solo record he's already thinking about a solo he's already thinking of a bloody solo record before we've even started a band um so uh, you know i said well look you know we need to have we need to have some songs um to play because we you know we we basically recorded give me some loving put that out it went top 10 so the record company said well you know you're going to do an album you know are you going to play or what so we put a band together to play give me some loving and we needed songs so i just said look let's just play that song let's play that you know that, that, that he would call it sounds of them i kept saying call it this is australia don't call it sounds of them because the sounds of them is mentioned once in the first line you know the whole thing is either out in the patio or it's called this is australia I always wondered where the song was referring to. Yeah, Bundaberg, uh, Kalki. Has Bundaberg ever adopted it? Yes, there's a Ganga Jang Way. Yes. Ganga Jang Way is a street which is right in front of their old house. Wow. So there is a street called Ganga Jang Way and there's a there's a, a, a few people that have bought you know plots and built houses there. Did you ever realise at the time it was going to be such a huge hit? No, no, because because when, like I say, when we did it, um, we just we just played it because we needed more songs, right? To to play a live set, we needed an hour and a bit to play, and we only had one song, we only had one single, so we just started playing it, and and to be honest, it was always pretty much a down part, a down part of the set, you know, it never really never really took off you know um also at that time uh there were two elements missing uh robbie james wasn't in the band at the right. time robbie james joined the band later 
Now he came up with da 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 da. He came mm. up with that riff, and he also came up with the little uh, guitar bit that goes little 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 little. And you listen on that song. There's one on each side, left and right. There's two tracks of his guitar doing mm. that, and that actually made the track a hell of a lot better than it was. Um, so when it got released. It didn't really do that much either when it got released, to be honest, because we'd had four singles before that. Yeah. You know, we'd had Give Me Some Love and House of Cards, Giver of Life, Bigger They Are. Yeah. And it sounds of then was kind of this kind of afterthought uh, yeah. single. Um, and it didn't really take off until Coke used it in 92. Wow. They used it for yeah. an ad. And then Channel 9 used it. Then Channel 10 used it. And that's when it became that's when it became popular. It wasn't really a popular song of Ganga Jang's at the time. Yeah, that song had some of the most recognisable lyrics in music history. Yeah, and um, our keyboard player Jeffrey Stapleton, he won't mind me saying this. He kept saying the whole time. He kept saying, "You know that line, this is Australia. Do you think that's a little bit jingoistic? You know, it's a bit kind of <laughs> daggy." And you know, I was the guy sitting behind the desk you know, working on these things and people, you know, what it's like people behind you who sort of go, oh, wait, we just get rid of that line. And I just turned around and said, excuse me, you're fucking kidding. Yeah. You, you take that line out, you've killed the song. Yeah. I said the thing that will make that song popular is the fact that it says this is Australia. Yeah. Because if it didn't have that, it would just be about this little block of land in, in Bundaberg. And people think it's about Australia, but it's not. It's about yeah. a house and a block of land in Bundaberg. And the thoughts of a of a migrant kid from England thinking, you know, laughing and thinking he was in Australia. Now, before that, you released Give Me Some Lovin', a top ten hit in the charts. Mm-hmm. With the first song going so well, did you ever think to yourself, we've got something happening here? Well, because we did that as a one-off, like we didn't have a band, and, and that happened by accident. I can tell you that story if we've got time. Yeah. Re- really simply, um, again, I was doing some work for Mark Opitz at Rhinoceros and um, I think it was it was either doing um, stuff for Diviner. So I, think he, I think he just wanted to hear hear what it sounded like if we put the drums over here and, and did a different kind of miking. He says, do you mind just, you know, setting up your drums and playing a bit for me so I can get this drum sound? I just want to muck around. I went, yeah, cool, you know, because I was in there anyway working. So I did that. And then Mark said, oh, look, I've got three days in this thing booked and I've got nothing to do. Have you got anything you want to do? So um, I went, okay. And I called up Mark Callahan and I went, you know, the, those things we're mucking around with, um, do you want to come into Rhinoceros and, um, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll just muck around for a couple of days, you know. So, yep, he came in. And uh, among other things that we did on that time, we one of them was was this backing track, and it was it was basically me. You know, I had my drum machine. I had there was an old acoustic guitar in in the studio, and I just bashed out like four tracks of this acoustic guitar. Ding, jacketing, 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 jacketing. Did four tracks of that. A keyboard bass. Boom, 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 boom. Did that. Um, Mark took it home that night. Took the rhythm track home. Uh, oh, actually, no, before before he left that night, he walked in and he said, oh, I've just got some ideas, and he just um, he bumbled through the track just uh, riffing, you know, just going, oh, da, 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 da. 
just mucking around, just no lyrics or anything, just a bit of stuff. And he came back the next day with a complete set of lyrics that matched what he'd done as the, you know, and I just went, man, that's incredible, you know, and and that was really, I guess, you know, when a, a bit later on he kind of suggested to me that we should start a band, you know, why don't we start a band? And, of course, you know, there's a part of me that would have been, not bad, <laughs> not, not a band, <laughs> not, not a again. band. Yeah, not a band, not a band. Um, but I kind of... Uh, I think I got swayed when he said, you know, Kay should be, in, my wife should be in the band as well because she and I were writing songs and she and Cal and I had written a song for Sweet and Sour and, you know, it was kind of like, and I said to Kay, you know, do you want to be in a band? And she said, oh, you know, I don't really care, but, you know, but yeah, all right. So, you know, we started a band. So let's take a listen to the very first single for Gangajang, then unnamed band, of course. Give me some loving from 84. You're listening to The Beat Generation. 1984. some lovin ganga jang we will be back with more from ozrock legend buzz binstrup on the beat generation hi this is shane and andrew from the bad boys if you're after quality hard-hitting journalism that matches four corners news that'll keep the government and the people accountable for their actions and current affairs that's more reliable than well a current affair then then that's that's not not us. us bad boys unleashed music 
entertainment, celebrity interviews. And the only original Bad Boys news that makes 60 Minutes sound like the Muppets. Join me, him and bad girl Angie for the conversation that no one wants to have, but everybody wants to hear. Bad Boys Unleashed, subscribe for free on Apple and Spotify. This is The Beat Generation, a look at music throughout the years that changed our world from the original beat poets of the 50s through to the musicians of the 60s until today. They've become known for their influence on music that has shaped the soundtrack of our lives, simply known as The Beat Generation. Welcome back to The Beat Generation, produced in association with Bad Boys Productions, Townsville's Triple TFM and the Community Broadcast Association of Australia. I'm Shane Bryan. Thanks for joining us for a very special interview with Ozrock legend, member of the Angels, Ganga Jang and the Party Boys, Buzz Bidstrup. Now make sure you check out our Facebook page, Music That Changed the World, and our Instagram page, The Beat Generation Podcast. Now before we chat with Buzz, let's take a listen to Hundreds of Languages by Ganga Jang. This is The Beat Generation. 1994. The spirit rose above a hundred languages And the moon was there for all to see Beat goes on across a hundred languages, and the sun is the same, yeah, one and the same for you and me. They had many words with the same meaning, they had one voice with which they About a hundred times before That it's only words It's only words They had stories That spanned the generations Handed from one to one On down the line I hear a voice And it seems to speak 
Today we're chatting with one of Australia's greatest music producers. His name is listed on tracks ranging from In Excess to Jimmy Barnes, TV shows, music soundtracks. I am talking, of course, about the legendary Buzz Bidstrip. Thanks for joining us on the show today. It's been my pleasure, Shane. Now, Buzz, hundreds of languages, such an iconic song and actually very poignant in relation to your work with Indigenous communities. You're essentially talking about coming to this land and each tribe having their own dialect. Yeah, each, you know, there were, if you look at the, um, the Tyndale map uh, of Australia, where you can see all of the boundaries of all of the language groups and all of the tribes in Australia, each one of them had their own language. Some of them, you know, neighbouring tribes had similar language, but, um, you know, there were hundreds of languages in Australia. And Robbie and Cal wrote that song about that very thing. Um, a few years earlier, 1988, um, we had been involved in the walk across the bridge uh, in the reconciliation movement, uh, and there was a, there was an album that was called Building Bridges. Yes. It came out in 1988. I remember And um, I had a Stetson song on that called Bad Blood um, that, that – you know, somebody just rang me up one day and said, you know that song you got in the Stetsons called Bad Blood? We want to put that on a reconciliation record. And I went, that's cool. You know, that's great. Um, why not? And we, Ganga Jang played it at, at, we walked across the bridge, went to the opera house, played at the opera house, um, were involved in all of those, you know, celebrations. And, and, and that kind of, I guess, piqued my... Um, my interest or my my need to know more about Indigenous Australia, which mm. uh, being a you know a white middle class kid from Adelaide, I really didn't know that, that much about Indigenous Australia. Um, as it turned out, I went to school with two Aboriginal guys who identified as Greek and Italian. Um, they didn't identify as Aboriginal um, because back then, you know, nobody nobody would do it. Nobody would <laughs> identify as Aboriginal. Do you think there was a lot of influence in the Oz music industry at the time, you know, the mid-80s to the early 90s, with bands really taking up the cause and shedding light on Indigenous issues? I mean, we had Midnight Oil, Goanna, who we'll be actually chatting with next week. I mean, was it a catalyst for people to sit up and say, we've got to do something about this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was another band, a very a very important band called Warumpi Band, mm. and Warumpi Band were from Papunya up in the Northern Territory and there was one white guy in there and that was, um, that was Neil Murray. Yeah. And Neil had written, had written My Island Home, um, which was about the singer G.R. Barawanga. Um, George's homeland was up in Arnhem Land and, and Neil had written, Neil had written this song. He'd gone to Papunya as a school teacher. Right. And he caught up with uh, Sammy Butcher and these other guys in Papunya. Now we did a couple of gigs with them in, in 80, 86, 85, 86, Ganga Jang by then were, were, were then, you know, playing live. And I, so I met, I met these guys from Warumpi Band and I've stayed very good friends with, with, um, with Sammy Butcher, you know, a poor, unfortunately George passed away. But um, as, as that sort of took off and, and the, obviously we had Yothi Yindi and Treaty and, and Treaty was co-written by, you know, Paul Kelly has got Paul Kelly's name on it. It's got it's got uh, uh, Peter Garrett's name on it. It's got you know, I think it's even got Neil Finn's name on it. I'm not I think sure. It does. Yeah, I think it does. Um, and then I, you know, I kind of met the guy that produced that. 
was Mark Moffat. And I yeah. said, played pedal steel on the Stetson. So he he was kind of a friend of mine. And and yes, I think I think the whole the whole movement started to gain momentum because a lot of us were, were just gobsmacked that Aboriginal Australia was so unknown and so unrespected. And I think that that was definitely a a, a call to me to to you know, and now, of course, you are a producer of Indigenous artists yeah. and the CEO of Thumbs Up, which was started by Uncle Jimmy, Jimmy Little. That's right, and and I I had a, you know, as as little things go around in circles, as we know, um, <clears throat> and the longer you stay in a business, you know, in in business, so to speak, you're going to run into people. So in in '99. Um, I got a call from Mark Callahan, who Ganga Chang weren't playing at the time. We, we were having a little bit of time off, and he'd taken a job with Festival Records. And he rang me up and he said, Festival Records are releasing this record called The Messenger by Jimmy Little. <clears throat> and and at the time I was working with a friend of mine in an agency. And I'd had a I'd been managing Diana Arnaid and I'd had a I'd had a fairly bad experience. Um uh, in the sense where I, I'd, I'd sort of put two, nearly three years into that project and 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 it didn't end well, you know. I, I ended up just tearing up the contract and going, well, you know, that's it, see you later. Um, <clears throat> so when when Mark said, you know, we need someone to look after this record and I went, what do you mean look after it? And he said, oh, you know, just kind of if anyone wants to do a gig or something like that, wants Jimmy to do a gig, you know, can they call you? And I went, yeah, that's cool. You know, I don't mind that. And I met Jimmy, and the very first thing we did was the Queenscliff Music Festival in Melbourne. And Jimmy was asked to go down there and sing with Archie Roach, and another friend of mine, Dave Steele, who I'd made three records for. Dave, Dave used to be in wedding parties at anything, so I'd made three records with him. So I knew him really well. He was working with Archie. So we turned up at the Queenscliff Music Festival, and 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 Jimmy did this thing with Archie and I could see how Archie was treating Jimmy Jimmy was royalty and anybody that came up to Jimmy anyone from the indigenous community that came up to Jimmy was was treating him with the utmost respect and and reverence for yeah. being who he was so on the way back to on the way back to the airport the next day um you know Jimmy and I were talking and and Jimmy said well you know, um, I, um, Mark Callahan at the record company said that you know you know how to put together a band and all that sort of stuff. Would you you you'd be interested in doing that for me? And I said, well, you know, I'm not really interested in managing anybody, to be honest. You know, I've just had a a fairly unfortunate experience <laughs> with management, so I didn't really want to do that. But I said, look, I tell you what, I'll do. I will do it for for six months. I'll find you another manager. And I'm happy to be your agent. And I'm happy just to sort of book gigs and do that. So I started doing that and um, 13 years later. Well, let's take a listen to Jimmy Little and Under the Milky Way from the album The Messenger. This is The Beat Generation. 1999. Sometimes when this place gets kind of Sound of the breath fades with the light Think about 
loveless fascination under the Milky Way tonight. Lower the curtain down on Memphis. Lower the
this is the Beat Generation, and we're chatting with Oz Rock legend Buzz Bidstrup. You know, uh, as soon as that Messenger record came out, it went nuts. It went on to Triple J, really high rotation on Triple J. This is massive kids, you know, 20-year-old kids that wanted a 62-year-old Aboriginal man to come and sing at their groovy club or at their wow. festival, you know. Um, so I ended up as, you know, default manager and, and, the, and the voice, you know, the mouthpiece for Jimmy, um, which I didn't mind doing, you know, and part of that work, as I, as I got to know him um, and, and we became very good friends, um, you know, we would be, Jimmy would be asked to go to, you know, Uluru to talk to the kids at the school about um, literacy and numeracy. Uh, the, the government wanted him as an ambassador for literacy and numeracy. So, we, you know, we'd go around to all of these places, Tennant Creek, we'd go to Darwin, you know, all this stuff. And, and it just seemed like there was a need for, an organisation that could advocate for particular things in Indigenous space. And one of those was the cross-border renal dialysis situation, which basically meant that people, say people from uh, Kirikara or or Kintor, 600 k's west of Alice Springs, if they had renal failure, they would have to leave home, leave country, come over to Alice Springs, 600 k's, and go to the largest dialysis unit in the Southern Hemisphere. If you were in South Australia, just across the South Australian border where all your, all your family is actually in Northern Territory, mm-hmm. they would send them to Port Augusta in South Australia. If you were on the other side, on the West Australian side, they'd send you to, you know, Perth or, or to, to Kalgoorlie, you know. And so we started to advocate for renal dialysis in remote communities. Yeah. And we eventually got enough money to buy or to have a renal dialysis bus made. It's called the Purple Bus and it lives in Alice Springs and it's run by the, by the uh, Western Desert uh, Dialysis Mob. Um, and, you know, we started, we set up the Jimmy Little Foundation and, and I had uh, a, a couple of, you know, actually I had five years of running that. In 2009, uh, actually eight, we started Uncle Jimmy Thumbs Up, which and they ran in parallel, Jimmy Little Foundation, Uncle Jimmy Thumbs Up, ran in parallel for for nearly 10 years. Mm, mm. And and the Thumbs Up thing was a preventative health initiative, which eventually got govern, it got government funding when through the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd years. Yeah. Uh, we, we were given like a million bucks a year and we were working in 50 communities. Uh, it was a massive, massive thing. You know, it was incredibly, incredibly successful. In fact, I was looking at some stats today at, Indigenous diabetes rates, and if you have a look at 2010 when we started our program, 2010 to 14, the rates of diabetes went down in Indigenous communities. And as soon as Tony Abbott came in in 2014 and and cut every program, like seriously cut every program, the rates of diabetes have gone up ever since because all of that good work was destroyed and now you're running the organization and you have an app coming out to help indigenous families buy good healthy food yeah look it's it's, it's a really simple it's a really simple concept and it's called the good tucker app uh, it's free and you can get it for um, iOS or Android phones it's really simple it works on uh, the barcode of a product and the barcode is linked to the health star rating so a product say that gets over 
three and a half stars on the health star rating will give you a thumbs up, a green thumbs up. When you zap the barcode, it'll come up. We'll say that's a good product. Yeah. If you if you uh, you know zap a barcode of a can of fizzy drink, mm-hmm. you'll get a red thumbs down that will say avoid. It's not a good yeah. one. If you pick a product that's somewhere in the middle, you'll get a yellow thumb sideways that will say limit. Yeah. So you, that's a limit food. Um, and it's been really successful and I'm just about to, the COVID, the COVID situation has just ruined all my, I, I should have been on the road right now starting at Uluru and then going to Darwin, then to Broome. I had this whole trip planned out, which I've had to cancel I'm now just working out what I'm going to do once, once the, mm-hmm. you know, once travels uh, back yeah. again. I need to get out to some of these communities. But the app is there; anyone can use it. You can use it anywhere. You know, you can use it in awesome. Coles and Woolworths. Some products won't won't scan in Coles and Woolworths because it's been set up to scan for the two store groups that operate in the Northern Territory and the yeah. top end, basically. Yeah. And they are Alpa, which is Arnhem Land Progress Association, and Outback Stores. Now, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Beat Generation today. We're going to finish with a song that is actually the first song ever to be allowed to be filmed in front of Uluru. Yeah, and look, this this song was written by uh, our keyboard player Jeff and myself, and it was basically from an idea I had to talk about the Pintabi Nine, who were the last nomads to walk out of the desert in 1984. The time when we made our first Ganga Jang record, there were guys walking out of the desert who'd never seen a white man. Mm-hmm. And that was the Pintabi Nine. And we'd, we'd go out to um, this place called Kintor. And I went there a couple of times with Jimmy. And I watched the kids, the kids at the school, drawing little circles in the sand, the little little circle drawings in the sand. And then you'd walk over to the paint shed and you'd see all of the artists who are from the Papunyatula artist art group, which is a world world renowned, you know, art movement. Um, and you'd see them making the circles on the paint. So all of the circle dots, dot paintings came from the idea that they used to make these circles in the sand and they make the sand paintings. And they make these really, really uh, ornate paintings or drawings in the sand and then just let them, you know, let the wind take them away. Um, so the, the circles in the sand was this thing about, you know, coming back again, going round and round and, and coming back, you know, trying to get, you know, trying to get people to, to come around to the thinking that there is a culture in Australia, the, la- the oldest living culture in the world, and we've got it right here in our backyard and we, we are being, you know, um, not to do not, not recognise and not use it. I mean, we're talking now about you know bushfire uh, regeneration and and can prescribe burning. I mean, these guys have been doing it for thirty thousand years. Mm. There's a whole lot of stuff we can learn from these people, and and um, that's what the song was about. Well, Buzz, it's been an amazing journey over these last two weeks. You certainly have given us a snapshot of Oz Rock history. It's also great to hear that how during your time in the music industry that it's come full circle to bring us back to the point where we can actually have meaning in the music we write and play and also the messages that we put out there. Yeah, look, you know, and it's great. Music music can be a great healer. Music can be something that, that is total entertainment and I, I love that. You know, I've got no problem with, with, dare I say, mindless pop. You know, yeah. I don't mind some of that. I, I mind. I loved. I loved it when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, but I think. I, I think 
you know also there's a there's a there's a duty for songwriters and for contemporary musicians to to try and bring awareness to to injustices and and you know australia's indigenous population have, have just lived through one injustice after another and yeah. um you know if there's anything to do to bring some some kind of recognition and and light towards that then then i'm up for that well thanks for joining us on the beat generation buzz Thanks so much for having me, man. Well, next week we're going to be joined by another great Australian music legend, Shane Howard from Goanna Band. It is an epic show not to be missed. To take us out this week, Ganga Jang Circles in the Sand featuring Buzz Bidstrup. I'm Shane Bryan and this has been The Beat Generation. 2016. Walking out of a desert Just to the end.